Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. A stone is heavy, and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything is bittersweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. The word of God. Father God, we are looking forward to this amazing teaching that's going to happen between two example friends for us. Use them in our hearts to go and reflect in our own relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, that. Yeah. Hey, everybody, look who's back from uh, his bout with allergies. Gosh. What? This morning, what I, I heard him tell somebody this morning, it was all in my head, is what he said. So I'm just giving a quote. His head. He said it was all in my head. His head. His head. Welcome back. All right. Well, thanks for that. Uh, I don't know whatever that was. Um, are you ready? I think so. Okay. Well, for the, for the past several weeks, we've been trying to uh, discuss and tap into wisdom. And, I, and I'm, I think we could probably all agree that John is failing on this front. <laughs> um, but seriously, we've been trying to tap into this idea of wisdom. Uh, living into living well into the world in which God has uh, made, and I really I really appreciate John uh, for um, referencing Star Wars uh, several weeks ago. I really appreciate that. So you've discipled me. So yeah, good, good. So you're seen and heard. Um, but uh, yeah, I really appreciate him using Star Wars to prove that point. But the Bible, which is uh, a more important source than Star Wars. Um, it, it, the, the Bible tells us that, um, in general, that the word around wisdom is chokmah, and the proverb specifically insists that this idea of wisdom is a thread that's actually running throughout the entire universe, and it is optional for us to tap into it. And God is inviting every single human to tap into this wisdom, and we have a choice of whether or not we're going to actually uh, tap into that. Right, John? Correct. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, not everyone opts into wisdom. And, uh, you know, Proverbs, if you've been with us over the course of these past several weeks, you've noticed that in the Proverbs, not everybody opts for wisdom. And in the Proverbs, really, primarily consists of, of people who are ignoring the wisdom that is so readily available to them in life and the world, and what life looks like when you opt out. Um, 
you know, uh, a couple weeks ago, we, we looked, on mar- uh, looked at marriage and we saw that it can be such a blessing or it can be terribly loath- loathsome. And that's also true about our subject uh, today. But um, before, we, before we get into the subject of friendship, and John and I discuss a little bit about our friendship, how we, how we uh, became buds, and how we've maintained this, this uh, friendship for uh, over all these years. Um, I want to give you a, a, a quote from Tim Keller, surprise, surprise, uh, because it's a really good quote around the idea of practical wisdom, because that's really what we're trying to serve you with in, these, in this sermon series, is how to take the wisdom of God and actually use it, instead of this big, lofty, esoteric idea in which you're kind of trying to tap into you know, this thread that's running through the universe, what does it look like um, practically for us? And so. I think Keller is so good at doing that with words, and he says this. He says, in the Bible, wisdom is certainly not less than being moral and good, but, it is, but it's much more. It's being so in touch with reality that you know what is the right thing to do in the vast majority of the situations that the moral rules don't apply to. The vast majority of your choices, your decisions, you're going to have a a whole lot of different choices in front of you. And in most cases, no matter what your understanding of morality is, no matter what your moral standards are, there will be many, many, many options that are all moral. They are all allowable morally, but which one is the wise one? Uh, Wisdom is the ability to know what the right thing is to do in the situations that the moral rules don't address. And that is, that is absolutely this true about the topics that we've been covering for the past several weeks, but it, also, it is also true about our topic today, friendship. You see, Proverbs has so much to say around the subject of friendship, and, and, and perhaps it's a little challenging and a little harsh, but I think what the Proverbs actually tells us is that um, if you are not good at uh, choosing, forging, and keeping healthy relationships, it it tells you something terrible about yourself. And so I'm starting with bad news first. I'm a a bad news before we get to good news, okay? So so we're going to cover some of the bad news around uh, what what the Proverbs discusses around the topic of friendship. Yeah, and if you've been with us for any amount of time, that's usually, you, the, the framework for most sermons is predictable um, in that it's bad news, good news. Maybe good news, bad news, good news, but some variety of that. And in critiquing culture, it's not that we're saying everything out there is bad, horrible, and no good. We're just saying, here's an issue that scripture can help lead us towards life in, that the culture has created a, um, what's the, the death Society of uh, a kingdom of heaven in a society of death the kingdom of is heaven the and a colony of death. And a colony of death is, I think, the Eugene Peterson yeah. quote that you refer to often. And so, like the sermon that Anthony a gave colony on, colony of heaven in a kingdom of death. Okay, okay there yeah, it is. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> wait till I'm in the middle of a sentence. And <laughs> well, you you brought up a quote, not even in the notes, dude. So, I mean, geez. So. <laughs> We're being shaped, and as uh, my friend Anthony gave in his wonderful sermon on marriage uh, a couple weeks ago, cultures moved from one of sacrifice to self-fulfillment, and that's true also when it comes to relationships and friendships. 
Sociologists have been writing about this for a number of years now. One of the, the better known books is by Robert Putnam called Bowling Alone. And he describes a move from relational capital to financial capital. And he says this, the wherewithal for mass marketing has steadily replaced social capital, that is financial capital, that is grassroots citizen networks as the coin of the realm. And so the primary currency that society runs on has shifted from one being more relational between neighbors and families to one that's more purely financial. You can see that and in the book he talks about the, the lowering of club societies. That's the, you know, bowling leagues used to be more popular. Although I, in Prescott, I don't know, because I live kind of near Plaza Bowl and that place is at, packed at odd hours. I'm, I'm doing... It still seems like it's happening. It's, it's yeah. still happening. Um, but then you see within, within other networks, we've become, he talks about moving from a front porch society to a back porch society that's more private. And we have prioritized gaining more finances over more relationships. And that's created a literal epidemic. I'll quote from you from the Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy. He says, our epidemic of loneliness and isolation has been an underappreciated public health crisis that has harmed individual and societal health. Our relationships are a source of healing and well-being hidden in plain sight, one that can help us live healthier, more fulfilled, and more productive lives. Given the significant health consequences of loneliness and isolation, we must prioritize building social connection the same way we have prioritized other critical public health issues such as tobacco, obesity, and substance use disorders. Together we can build a country that's healthier, more resilient, less lonely, and more connected. And so the Surgeon General, if you uh, are one that follows the Surgeon General, he's been on a podcast tear going on a lot of the most popular podcasts, talking about this and working from a governmental standpoint of attempting to reverse these health consequences. Here's the data. The physical health consequences of poor or insufficient connection includes a 29% increased risk of heart disease, 32% increased risk of stroke, 50% increased risk of developing dementia for older adults. Additionally, lacking social connection increases the risk of premature death by more than 60%. This thing's ringing back a little bit. All right. Nice work. And so, that's like maybe reason B to get in a, in a community group if you're not yet. You're like, I don't want to get dementia. Well, we have community groups for you. <laughs> that is a motivation, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Secondary, yeah. secondary, yeah. but it's there. Yeah, it starts. Got to start somewhere, yeah. right? From in the last 20 years, 2003 to 2023, there has been a decrease of social engagement with friends overall, from an average of 60 hours a month. I guess that's what you did before smartphones, to 20 hours a month. That's from the uh, Human and Health Services. And so we see, and it's come out more and more, the data is clear that we are in a literal epidemic of loneliness, of disengagement, and there's real health and life consequences mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. and, culture, and culture does confirm that. Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking about, uh, about that as we continue thinking through that, but have you noticed that uh, magazines, uh, culture, songs, movies aren't necessarily about uh, friendship, that they're uh, primarily about um, romantic relationships? Have you, have you noticed that, like everywhere you look? Um, because because I, 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 um, 
I, I read uh, my, in my daily news feed, and for some reason, I'm, I know exactly what's going on with um, Travis Kelsey and, and Taylor Swift right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I even know, I even know this, I even know that she changed the lyrics to one of her songs for him. It was quite a romantic gesture. Um, and all this proves two things. Uh, one, that I know uh, way too much about the relationship between a pop star and uh, a football uh, player. And uh, two, that our culture is, in fact, um, uh, obsessed with romantic relationships. And uh, you don't talk... And you don't see deep friendship ever highlighted in, in, in our world. It's not, and that's something that is this celebrated. And that's um, because we have this, this really, really terrible me versus we perspective. And even because of this me versus we perspective, it really taints the opportunity for friendship because I don't know how many times I talk to people and they can't make friends because they're always, they're, the friends that they have uh, an opportunity to make in front of them are always never good enough. And, and so, and that, and that, that is me, that me versus we perspective. And so, you know, I, I, I get it. It's hard to make friends. Um, people, uh, human beings, and I'm one of them, are terribly disappointing creatures. Um, and I get it. Like, I'm a, t a terribly disappointing creature. And so, and so, so I get it. But um, trust me, there's some good news coming. And, and that's where we'll get into some scripture. John will take us into, into the text. So this is where Proverbs helps us. And what it does is first hold up a bit of a mirror for us to become a little bit more self-aware. To quote the late, great Michael Jackson, uh, well, late, I don't know about great. That, you know, yeah, that was yeah. a stretch, bro. <laughs> musically great. Yes, okay, yes. Okay. Uh, the late yeah, yeah, and musically great Michael Jackson, geez, <laughs> digging myself out of a hole. He says, I'm starting with a man in the mirror. I'm asking him to, to make, make some change. change. You want to know a funny thing about me? <laughs> don't, don't encourage it. When I was like six, seven, eight years me. old, I thought that song said, I'm starting with the man at the river, and I'm asking <laughs> him to make some change. So I was very confused with Michael Jackson's yeah, take yeah. on homelessness. That can get you in all kinds of trouble. Yeah. yeah. So here's the warnings we see in Proverbs 27. Uh, there's three. There's a warning against boasting, against anger, and against jealousy. Uh, first, boasting. That is an inaccurate view of oneself the lie that we think we are better than we are. The opposite of that would be jealousy, that is constant comparison in somewhat of a deflated ego that is marked by a deep unsettling insecurity. And whether or not I'm onto something or not, uh, this is a theory of mine that boasting and jealousy are two sides of the same coin and they're sandwiched together by this common emotion or undercurrent of anger that is saying God got it wrong with me and others. It's this unsettling frustration that we have an insecurity around the providence of God, what he's given us right here, right now. And so again, those are seemingly opposites, but they're sandwiched together. Jealousy, an inflated view of, or jealousy being a deflated view of oneself in comparison to other people, or boasting that is an inflated better than-ness that's held together by this, God got it wrong because I'm better than all these people or I'm worse than all these people. Proverbs 
warns us about those very human tendencies. And it says we can aware, be aware of and avoid those tendencies by two things, and that is through rebuke and realignment. And so this is verse five, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, perfuses are the kisses of an enemy. So how does rebuke and realignment happen? It's with people. And now we've said this before, that isn't that everybody becomes the, uh, to quote the John Corson, sin sniffing and fault finding in one another. That was a phrase that he yeah, always yeah, liked to yeah, use. Yeah. You like that one. I, I, I go back to that one. It's yeah. stuck in my head. But we need people for those things. The commentator that I love, Derek Kidner, marks uh, Proverbs 27 kind of into four parts. He says, with friendship, there's four marks. There's constancy, there's candor, there's counsel, and then he says tact. Uh, but for our purposes, because we like alliteration, care. Mm -hmm. Okay, so constancy in Proverbs uh, 27.10 do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Do not go into your brother's house in the day of calamity. Proverbs tells us that we ought to be constant people with one another. Probably first and foremost, mark of a friend is that a friend is there. Dale Carnegie's famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence Peoples. Uh, I didn't realize that book was written in the 30s. I also, I had a feeling 30 million copies over the last 90 years. Dale Carnegie echoes the wisdom of Proverbs when he says this, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Mm. And so it's first before accumulating friends, it's being a friend, mm. one who is constant. Second, candor. Because we tend to be so inaccurate in a, the view of ourselves and others, we need honesty that is coupled with constancy. Again, this goes back to nobody needs truth-telling jerks in their lives. Well, I just say it how it is. <laughs> yeah, and nobody likes you because of that. <laughs> I've had to learn this lesson the hard way, personally. Just saying words without thinking of the actual person. So we need constancy, we need candor, not just uh, blowing smoke or being the truth-telling jerk. Counsel, Derek Kidner in his commentary says, two sayings in chapter 27 give the two sides to this. The cheering effect of fellowship and the healthy clash of personalities or views. A true friendship should have both elements, the reassuring and the bracing. You can mm -hmm. think in scripture, Jonathan and David give that example, and you see that in 2717, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And then finally, care or tact. That is, there's a mutuality of feelings and emotions, and Proverbs gives examples all throughout, not overstaying a welcome. When a host starts brushing their teeth, you know it's probably time to go. You've overstayed, you're welcome. When Anthony goes, I, well, you might be a little quick on the uptake of your, I'm going to bed when there's still multiple people at your house because you're getting older and there's some things. Again, I'm living what I'm preaching here, guys. Constancy, candor, counsel, and care, because yeah. I love you. <laughs> uh, or... Forcing oneself and not knowing when a joke has gone too far. That's in uh, chapter 26, and maybe I just, I did that. 
to quote the uh, decent and terrible band Houdini, friends, how many of us have them, right? Yeah. Oh, you managed to work that in. Yeah, yeah I put yeah. it in the notes. Yeah, yeah. Same. Dumb. When we started, really dumb. you guys know that song? <laughs> friends, how many of us have them? That's what I played on my laptop when we started to study together. And, and he just That's 100% true. Yeah. Yeah. John has a soundtrack for life, and <laughs> it's very literal and really dumb. Well, when I picked you guys up from the Philippines and it's like midnight, what was it? Was it Bruce Springsteen, Born in the born USA? Born in the USA, yeah. Because yeah. they just got back from the United States, so that was the song. Yeah. 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 What a, what a, what a refreshing individual. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, John, you know, in terms of the text, he did a really good job, and so did Kidner, does a really good job at laying groundwork, groundwork for friendship. Uh, how one ought to live in community in order to be a good friend, and what one look, actually is looking for when they're searching for a friend. So how to be a friend, how to, uh, and how to search for a friend. And, 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 and I think what's really important, and, and I think something that John and I want to touch on today is that, and, and, and any of you who have a really good, deep friendship, you'll understand that uh, in addition to all these things that the, the Proverbs tells us, the Proverbs also shows us that to have a really deep, meaningful, iron sharpening, iron type of relationship, there also needs to be some uh, magic to it. There, there has to be, it has to be touched by God. And, you know, all jokes aside, when I think about my friendship with John, I mean, it really has been touched by the Lord. I mean, it really, there's only, there's, there's no other way to explain it than, than like the Lord has, has, has really uh, done something special, but there's a magic to it. There's a, there's a rarity uh, about it, and like I said, the, the Proverbs confer, confirms this. And in chapter 18, verse 24, the sage says this. He says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And perhaps you're familiar with that, that proverb, but did you catch the, contracts, the contrast in the, in the text? Because specifically, did you see that the friend who sticks closer than a brother is singular? In, in other words, what the sage is saying is that those kinds of friends are literally a, a, a rarity. They don't, they don't come along all, all the time. That, that, that uh, friendship that is, you know, focusing on constancy, counsel, care, and candor doesn't happen all the time. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rarity. And, you know, it immediately reminds me of a, of a scene out of the movie Tombstone. How many of you are friends of, fans of the movie Tombstone with, uh, with uh, uh, um, was it Kurt Russell and, and Val Kilmer? Um, I, I love that scene. There's that scene in Tombstone when um, they've just finished that uh, impossible fight with um, Curly Bill. You remember that? And, uh, and, uh, and they've been victorious. And I love that they're looking for uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the gunmen comes in and is, asks where... Uh, where uh, Wyatt's at, and, and Doc says he's, he's probably out, he's, he's down by the creek walking on water, you know, like it's, it's pretty slick, like his, kill, I love that movie, anyway. Um, um, I love when you give an illustration of a movie that nobody's seen. Well, that's a, hey, yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you, yes, yes, yeah, see, favorite, this is a favorite, yeah, look at these hands, okay. yeah, okay, gosh. And the rest of us are just hanging with you. You should watch it, okay. you should watch it. Right. That's what, that's what, 
But anyway, they, they've, they've just finished that impossible fight with Curly Bill, and they, they're anticipating that there's retribution coming from Johnny Ringo. And then, there, and then there's, this, there's this brief exchange between the gunman and, and, and Doc uh, around the difference between revenge and a reckoning. And it's a great scene. But, uh, you know, and then, and then Doc ultimately stands up and he starts coughing because he's got tuberculosis, but he has to anticipate this new battle. And the gunman just looks at him and, and he says, he says, Doc, what are you, what are you doing out here? Uh, you should be in, you should be in bed, right? And he, and he's just like coughing up and blood everywhere. And it's, it's so, it's so nasty. And he's like, you, you, you shouldn't be out in this fight. And, and, um, and Doc simply looks at him and replies and says, why Earp is, is my friend. Why Earp is my friend? And, and the gunman says, well, hell, I, I, got, I got a lot of friends. And, and Doc just stares him coolly and, 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 and just so calculated and smooth. And he says, well, I don't. Uh, he says, hell, I got a lot of friends. And, and Doc says, well, I, I don't. And I think that's what the Proverbs is really telling us, is that to have this kind of friend is, is a rarity, and there's got to be some, some magic to it. There's got to be something d divine about it. And, it, and, 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 and it, and it's not something that can be forced. You know, really, it really can't be forced. In fact, in, in chapter 27, in verse 9, it says, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from earnest counsel. Um, it says the pleasantness of one's friend, uh, and, and this word for pleasantness is, a, is another word for sweetness, um, and, it, and it's saying that, that real friendship is like, is like sweet, sweet food, and, and, and I think this is a, it's kind of compelling because all the commentators pointed out that when uh, the book of Proverbs was written, nobody had sugar yet. And, and so, so what, that, what that meant was that there were, there were foods that they were talking about that were naturally sweet, and you had to actually find it. You had to discover it. It wasn't something you went to the store and just put, you just grabbed off of a shelf. And, and of course, our culture says anything that you want, you can just, anything good you want, you can just go get it. It's so easy. But friendship is not like that. In fact, it is, it is a rarity. It's something you have to search for. It's something you discover, and there's a, there's a magic to it. And that's why I love Tombstone, and that's why I think you should watch it, because it's a, it really illustrates that, that wonderfully in that scene. But Keller writes that friendship, what it requires, uh, it requires a foundation, an affinity, a common love, a common vision that can't be created, that can only be discovered, and that's why it's so rare. That's why it's so rare. And, and, and the reason John and I are homies is because we have this, this common affection. We have this common affinity. It's deep within each one of our wells. And by the grace, of God, grace and mercy of God, we've actually discovered that in friendship with one another. Yeah, and I don't remember who's, was it Mike's idea to share some of our story mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. relation to this? And so uh, that's where it all started probably 24 years ago. I'm doing math in my head. I was in eighth grade at Calvary Chapel, and I was grumpy. Some things don't change. Um, <laughs> Karen, why did you laugh first out of everybody in that? <laughs> and I would go into the high school room. He basically lives on the struggle bus. Uh, yeah, guy, yeah, 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 yeah. You can pray for my family. Yeah. 
And in, at Calvary, they had junior high and high school ministry, and nobody was going to tell me what to do then or now. And so I would go into the high school room and just sit on the side and be grumpy and not want to be there necessarily. And that was hard when you have a young Hispanic fellow, uh, this guy, coming up and with this big contagious smile and a genuine interest in me asking me all the questions and just persisting. And like, this guy's weird. Uh, and, and I've told this story before that one of my good friends and still one of my best friends today, Colin Martell at the time, went to uh, Taiwan with Anthony and came back a different person. And I had two key people in my life at that moment. It was Colin and my brother Ryan. And my brother Ryan was going down a different path and I was really not enjoying who he was becoming as a person. And I'd tell him that to his face today and I've told him that before. And he and I would still probably today argue about it all. But Colin came back a different person and that was largely because of the influence of Jesus through Anthony on that trip. And something began changing within me seeing that of Jesus makes a change in somebody's life that's, that's obvious. And then there was one night where Anthony came back, I think it was that similar trip, and he was wearing a pair of shoes, K-Stars from Taiwan, they were goofy looking shoes, and I told him, I like your shoes. And he said, well, cool, you can have them. And I was like, I don't want your shoes. I said, I like them. And he took off his shoes and he gave me his shoes. And as the years have gone on, you know, the story gets bigger, like it was raining or freezing, and all of a sudden he was It was raining. I wa- it was raining. Got frostbite on his pinky toe. <laughs> 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 but he gave me a pair of shoes that were from a foreign land. I just what, what kind of guy is this? And, and the commonality that began in that weird ex-mechanics off, you know, mechanics uh, place turned youth room was this real love for Jesus and people that that it that time I went that's rare that's rare that's not often that somebody takes a genuine interest in who you are as a person that is fueled out of love for Jesus not manipulation or wanting something out of me and so that's really where it began and I brought some photos Uh, one of our first photos this is 2004 That's Anthony and Beth on a bus in Nicaragua. Uh, And then next would be uh, the first, one of the first selfies. Look at that, is that glitter she had? That's glitter, she had shimmery. I I guess. So this was before (laughs) selfies were a thing. Again, this was with a Nikon Coolpix camera that I just turned in front of us and surprised Beth. She didn't know this photo was happening, as you can tell. I did, and I was gleeful about it. John thinks he's the father of the selfie. Yeah, yeah. I was ahead of the time back then with my two megapixel Nikon Coolpix. And there's Anthony. You know, how he looks serving Jesus. Happy. (laughs) When he's responsible. That's the look you have when you're responsible for like 30 high schoolers in a foreign country. And you show up and they go, oh, yeah, you're not sleeping inside. The inside's taken. You're going to be sleeping on this concrete for the next week of your life. And the pastor decided to bail. Yeah, and the yes. pastor wasn't the ministry, there. It was yeah. a hot mess. So yeah, yeah, that was great. That's some of where the story began. Yeah. Junior high there, and I don't have a great segue to you from that. Well, I, I guess I do. Maybe I do. I don't know. But there, 
from that point, there was just a, a, a relationship of, and I think this is important, like just pressure-free, just sincere love and genuine interest of constancy, counsel, care, and candor. And, you know, of course, since I was the youth pastor and was trying my darndest to be wise for these young people, I think that was primarily on my end for uh, John. But, but John was shocking to me that he was so interested in me. I, I, I was always dumbfounded by this. Uh, he started, you know, I'm a big... Cubs fan, Chicago Cubs baseball team, Cubs fan, and I big I love sports, and you know he was into BMXing at that time, and not really into sports. But then he started reading the daily sports uh, in the newspaper, and then so he could have something to talk to me about. You know he didn't like sports, but he wanted to have something to talk to me about, so he started doing that. Um, and then and then I remember one time I was going to go see my my parents in Bisbee, and I was going to drive down there, and he says, hey, Ken, would you, would you like me to go and hang out with you? And I said, uh, this is really weird that you just want to go hang out with me and go see, meet my family. But yeah, he became a, like an honorary Mexican on that weekend, and my, my, dad, my dad started calling him mijo, and yeah, he, he, he was, on, he was on, on, uh, to the moon on, on all that, you know. But it was just... It was just interesting to see the, how the gospel was this glue that, uh, that brought us together and it just forged us. And from that point forward, we just became friends. Like we were just legitimately friends no matter, no matter what. And John, especially when, you know, uh, my family and I, when we moved overseas and, you know, went on mission and ended up in Taiwan and ultimately in the Philippines, like there was one constancy there. And it was always my buddy, John, checking in, checking in to come say hello and just be there with, with Karen. And it's just so, so sweet. Yeah, something so sweet and so, so special about it. And, you know, that's, that's why union is a church. Like, if you've ever wondered, I mean, of course, it's, it's about Jesus and uh, proclaiming the gospel and, 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 and having a, a local body in, in, in our community that we think we need, we think, we're still, we still think, I'm not sure, I'm not 100% sure about that, but it really exists because of our friendship. In fact, before we, before we started this church, that was, that was the, one of the first things we put on the table. I said, we're going to do this church, but I'll tell you what, our friendship is not going to ever come at the cost of it. So if we can't maintain our friendship and do this church together, I'd rather just be friends and not have this, this church. And it was so funny when we first started watching John trying to, just waiting, because he had a lot of PTSD about, you know, things, <laughs> minister in, in the ministry in his past. But it was so funny watching him just wait, wait for our friendship to fracture. Wait, wait for it to, to fall apart. And, and, and when Jesus is the thread that keeps that together, when he's the beauty that, that makes it all, you know, worthy of pursuit, it, it changes everything. And I, and I think that's, that's the beautiful story that we get to tell you, is that not only was, was that true when we began, but here we are four years into this endeavor and we still actually love each other. And John's still irritating as ever, but, you know, that's, I think that's an endearing trait, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. 
Can somebody write that down and date it? <laughs> it's endearing. It is yeah. endearing. I should have said most of the time. Mm. Yeah, that's what. But I, you didn't. And but so, for the record, for, but there's always room for amendment. We can amend things. All right. Uh, you're not you're not writing law right now. Okay. And so there's a sweetness that is not been just daisies and roses. Um, there's one of the funny. The most funny and painful things that was ever in my life is the day that Anthony called me Johnny Two Bits. And I was 17, I think, then, and was the kid and still, you know, it's recovery. Um, it's a perpetual process that always had something to say, always interjecting, always annoying. He's like, you're Johnny Two Bits. And it was like one of those knife to the heart things where I'm like, <laughs> And it wasn't bullying, it wasn't mean or rude, he's just like, you always have something to say, don't you? And I was like, oh no, but then consistent <laughs> with love. Um, I've shared before about the depression I went through in 2018, and I will never forget the day that I was closest to the edge and dealing with suicidal ideation, and Anthony and Beth just showed up that night. Um, Karen had called them, things were really off and scary, and I was just like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm gonna figure it out, it's gonna be okay. And then they show up and I go, I guess I'm not okay. But then there was somebody there for me. I will also add that I asked Anthony to be my best man at my wedding, he said <laughs> yes, and then he moved to Taiwan. So. <laughs> okay. So they let you down from time to time too. Oh, oh my god goodness yeah but the thing that I've learned from from Anthony my wife has taught me this as well and it's the theme that we've been seeing throughout Proverbs is this that if you want to learn wisdom in a life lived well it really does start and end with Jesus it it's as simple and as profound as that. It starts and it ends with Jesus. Uh, Jesus is wisdom incarnate. And the way in which he's described, there's lots of different names and things, but this is one of my favorite accusations that they have against Jesus mm -hmm. in Matthew chapter 11, verse 18. Is his ministry is beginning to take place it says, for John came neither eating nor drinking. And they said, he has a demon. The son of man, and Jesus is saying this about himself, came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then this, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds or by her children. Jesus was a friend of sinners, which is such good news for every single one of us in this room, that though we're broken, we are still beloved by God. That Jesus in the worst place you've ever been or ever could be is the kind of guy that comes over and pulls up a chair at your table or invites you over and just takes his time with you enough time to where he could be accused of being associated with people like you and me. Just broken people, insecure people, prideful people. That's who Jesus is. He pulls up 
a chair and he gives people time. And these disciples who have a variety of backgrounds and really if you do a deep dive on the 12 and how, how is a team they were not fit to be together, you know, tax collectors and zealots, fishermen, and, and all of their backgrounds did not have a recipe for success. And Jesus is this glue that holds them together. And if we want to learn wisdom, we look at Jesus. There's a funny story about Anthony sitting at a winter camp a couple years ago and a, uh, one of the youth pastors was giving a teaching on if you want to be, you want to pick friends like Jesus. And Anthony's sitting there going, that's terrible advice because uh, all of them deserted them. Yeah. None of them yeah. were faithful. Uh, like, yeah, used, pick a group that he, he will deny the Garden you. Of yeah, and use the Garden the of Gethsemane. Yeah, you got to choose friends like Jesus. Yeah, some like, youth pastors, they're like, yeah, that, they're that's learning. really, really, really bad advice. But if we want to learn friendship, we can look to Jesus and how he was towards people. Because there's good news for people in a broken society where the air we breathe is broken families, broken marriages, broken friendships. And, and Jesus with these disciples, knowing who they were, what they would do in terms of denying him, this is what he says to them, preparing them for him heading to the cross in John 15. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So Jesus is Proverbs personified, and the best way to learn friendship is to look to him first and foremost and be formed and shaped and befriended by him. Not only in who he, he was and who he is, but how he rolls. That we allow the life of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus to form and shape us and send us in the world to be friends with one another as we learn friendship from him. The theme that, that continues rolling in my head uh, through this series has been where you sit is how you're going to smell. And so this week, probably on Thursday, uh, you're cooking, you're you know, in the kitchen all day, and by the end of it, as you get ready, even for me, you know, 10 out of 10, I didn't spill anything on myself. I'm learning to eat like an adult. But when I got home, the clothing was saturated with the smells of Thanksgiving, necessitating a good solid wash. But where we occupy our, our time, our mental space, all of those things, that's what we end up saturating. And the call of Jesus is to learn from him, to be with him, to become like him. And so that in order, as we go out in this life, we can, we can give off the fragrance of heaven in a colony, of death. Yeah? Calling heaven in a country of death. Calling of heaven in a country it. of death. You straight blew it, dude. Let's pray. <laughs> <laughs> so Jesus, we thank you that you have come to us, that you have, that you have in such a surprising way shown us how love works. 
You didn't come simply with commands of what to do and not do. You didn't come with a pointed finger, but with a warm embrace to your disciples, to the people so in need of grace and healing in your touch, and you give that, and you continue to give that today. And Jesus, it's so foreign to us because this is not the world we know. Often we are more familiar with brokenness and insecurity. Some of us puff out our chests trying to posture in order to, to feel safe in this world. And so help us with you and one another to put our guard down in a healthy way to learn what it means to be your friend and be a friend to one another. And so as we respond now, would you, would you help us? Would you shape us? Would you heal us? And would you send us for your glory? In Christ's name we pray, amen.